I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly, provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Never apologize for being patriotic. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's Conspiracy Theory Thursday, and you got Joe Biden on America's southern border, where he's checking out his operation to bring more millions of illegal aliens into America. And I got to tell you a few of the things that happened, because Joe Biden is not... He's not banging on all cylinders. He, he's just, I mean, he's sliding downhill mentally very, very quickly. And I'll give you a few examples just from today. Because he flew into Brownsville, Texas, in Air Force One, got out of the plane, didn't answer any questions, jumped right in the beast, the big limousine, and took off. And then he met with ma- members of Border uh, Patrol, CBP. And it was kind of amazing because this is the CBP's boss. He's the head of the executive branch of government. CBP is an executive branch agency under Homeland Security. I wonder what they had to do to find some border agents that were actually willing to talk to this guy and and take him seriously. Because I'll point out to you, the union that represents the border protection and border patrol officers and agents. Do you know what they said last night and this morning as Joe Biden was heading for America's southern border for only the second trip he's ever taken to America's southern border in the entire time? All the decades he's been in office, he's been to the border one time before. Today was trip number two. And what did the Border Patrol Agents Union say? They said, don't let our name come out of your mouth. Now. I understand we've got a president who is severely compromised, and that's putting it diplomatically. We've got a president who's literally being ridiculed on foreign television as this bumbling idiot who can't he can't say words in an intelligible fashion. He certainly doesn't know what's going on. And there were good examples of that. But he's also a president who has, I think, righteously engendered the anger of Americans right now. I think the blood of innocence drips from the hands of Joe Biden today. He's been on the border for the last several hours in Brownsville. He and his staff deliberately chose the place where the border problem isn't happening instead of the place 325 miles away where Donald Trump was invited by the Border Patrol to come down and see Eagle Pass, Texas. I mean, anybody who's followed this subject, this massive public policy issue at all. I mean, not somebody like me who kind of lives it every day, but anybody who's even casually following this. If you said, where's the biggest ground zero point for the illegal alien invasion of America? They'd say Eagle Pass, Texas, Shelby Park. That's where it's all happening. In fact, That's where one of the biggest battles between the state of Texas and the federal government has been going on. And here's what's crazy about it. You know, some time ago, weeks ago, the Texas law enforcement went to Shelby Park and they effectively kicked the Border Patrol out of Shelby Park. They said this is where the illegals are coming across the Rio Grande River. And this is where CBP, at the orders of Joe Biden, 
has been processing illegal aliens into our country just as fast as they can throw them across the line. Now, that's not the fault of Border Patrol. I guess they could resign their jobs. They could stand up and say from a paramilitary operation, no, Mr. President, we're not going to follow your orders. They could do that. Do I expect them to do that? Probably not. But this is the ground zero, and there's a reason that's the place. That's the place where law enforcement in Texas said, we're going to put up a razor wire. We're going to station cargo containers, and we're going to stack them up in a line, and we're going to make an effective barrier. They're able to do, in six months, what Joe Biden has done the reverse of for the last three years. Even though, bizarrely, late yesterday, the White House announced that it wanted sanctuary cities to start turning illegal aliens over to ICE. They want them to do it. Now, this is such a turnaround. I've compared it to if you went to a political event and you saw a former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi showed up and she was carrying a Trump banner and wearing a MAGA hat. She's either dressed up for Halloween, and that's not too hard for Nancy Pelosi if you've ever seen her, but if she showed up, that would be as big a 180 as the White House pulled yesterday when they said, now we want the sanctuary cities to start turning over the illegals to uh, ICE so they can be kicked out of the country. But when I say the blood of innocence is dripping off this man's hands, just consider what's happening in this country right now. I'm not going to say it has happened. It has happened. But it is still happening, and it's getting worse. For example, violent crime connected to illegal alien invaders who were openly invited by then-candidate Joe Biden, and now as President Joe Biden, has spiked throughout America. And most recently, the mutilation and murder, and she was mutilated, according to the police affidavit, 22-year-old Lakin Riley of Georgia. And the man charged with her murder and mutilation is an illegal alien that Joe Biden's Border Patrol had in their custody and released at the orders of Joe Biden. He got to New York, and the police arrested him. And he was released by the orders of the authorities in New York. And then he went to Georgia, and he is accused of murdering 22-year-old Lakin Riley and then mutilating her head. The rape of a 14-year-old girl in Louisiana. The rape of another 14-year-old girl in Virginia. And Biden border jumpers charged in both cases. And the most ugly one that I just found out about today, it happened in the last couple of days, an 11-year-old girl in Provo, Utah, who's the man who assaulted her, raped her, according to the police, for 20 minutes. This is an 11-year-old child. This is a little girl. He rapes her for 20 minutes. They catch him. He confesses to the police and tells them what he did. And then in his wallet, they find a fake Social Security card, the least of the criminal charges against him, but another one of the crimes that are committed so blithely by people who are in this country illegally. More than three years ago, Joe Biden took this massive problem that should have been addressed by the the president when he was actually doing the reverse. He was signing 94 executive orders to undo everything President Trump had done because the Congress and the bureaucracy wouldn't, wouldn't do anything to help him solve this problem. So Trump got it solved on his own. What does Joe Biden do? He hands it off to this hapless Kamala Harris and says she's the new border czar. You know that Mayor Eric Adams of New York City says that city 
is facing a multi-billion dollar shortfall specifically because of illegal aliens who've taken a bite out of the Big Apple. And smaller cities, they're not going to escape this either. Athens, Georgia, is where Lake and Riley lived and died, apparently at the hands of an illegal alien. And Joe Biden outrageously blames President Trump for the problem, even though Trump produced the most secure American border in decades, and Joe Biden has done the reverse. But he got his 10 million undocumented Democrats that his party demanded to vote in this November's election, and now all of us get to pay the price. And in the case of 14-year-old girls raped by illegal aliens and a 22-year-old nursing student murdered, apparently by an illegal alien, we get to pay the ultimate price in some cases. Back in a moment, you've got the Lars Larson Show. Control explained. Want to stop drunk drivers from killing sober drivers? Ban sober drivers. That's how gun control works. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Conspiracy Theory Thursday night. i got to tell you something. Every time I hear somebody bring up reparations, I think, well, you want to take that to its logical extreme. Just about everybody in this country apparently owes money to somebody else because you can make a reparations argument for a whole bunch of groups. It is typically made by black Americans who say, you've got to make up for all these racial inequities of the past. The problem is in California, where the conversation seems to be the most uh, vocal, uh, California became a state in 1850. It did not allow slavery, and yet liberal lawmakers want to take cash from citizens who are never slaveholders in a state where there was never slavery or never at least legalized slavery. There may have been off-the-book slavery. I'm not going to deny that happened. And they want to pay it to people who live in a state where there was never slavery and were never slaves themselves. So I thought we talked about that to Dr. Wayne Weingarten, who's a senior fellow and director of the Center for Medical Economics and Innovation at Pacific Research. Dr. Weingarten, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me again. So this California Reparations Task Force has been working on different ways of calculating how much is owed to make up for something that never happened in California by taking money from Californians who were never slaveholders and paying it to people who were never slaves themselves. Is this going to go anywhere? Well, the, I mean, part of the reason we, we did our, our analysis is because we're beginning to see the introductions of bills kind of trying to put the reparations report uh, into action. So we had this large California reparations report. It's a, it's a thousand page report. The executive summary is 75 pages in and of itself. Uh, and they have all of these kind of costs that they're saying that justify the reparations. And so, and now, you know, based on that, we're talking about having legislation, like you were saying, to, to really actualize the concept. And we thought it was really important to, well, if this is the basis for what we're talking about, what, what, what are the fiscal costs? Because you can't make good policy if you don't understand the costs. Right. And that was really the, the purpose of our report, was just to say, hey, if, if you're talking about, in the report they said, it's about $1.4 million 
owed to each eligible person. So if you owe $1.4 million, and if we look at CalMatters, their, their estimate of how many people would qualify, we're talking about 2 million people. You know, paying 2 million people $1.4 million, you know, if you keep your zero straight, it comes to wow. $2.8 trillion. And where do they propose to get that sum of money? They don't. And, and that was really the purpose of what we're saying is that uh, there is no financing mechanism. And first of all, $2.8 trillion, that's about three quarters of the entire economy. So, you know, just, just off the bat, you can't obviously pay that in one year. But, you know, but that's, that's how large of a sum that we're talking about. And even if you say, well, let's pay it over 30 years, you're talking about, depending upon how you value it, one-third to two-thirds of the entire current budget would be taken up by reparations. So, and yet there are people who take this idea seriously and say, we need to do this. Do they take into account, I mean, there are a lot of other thorny issues in this. Would they only pay these reparations to people who can actually show lineage that goes back to slay, to uh, to people who are held as slaves in their family line? Or are they just going to assume that anybody who is African-American gets it? And, and, and if you have a more direct connection in your family line, do you get more? And if you have a less direct connection, do you get less? I mean, did they get into any of that? Well, um, I, I don't believe so. I mean, from, from what I understand, you know, there is definitely criteria. And so that's why they were saying 80 percent of the population would be eligible. Uh, so, there's, you know, there's, there's definitely some type of criteria. But and, and part of your questions, I think, goes to this idea that right now there's these huge sums that are taken out there. But, and then there's not really realistic plans put against those. So, you know, you have somebody right now, a, a state senator, who's saying, let's allocate $1.5 billion this year as a down payment. Now, this year that we have a $75 billion budget hole to close, but don't worry about that. Let's take $1.5 billion and as a down payment, and again, a down payment toward what? And I think that's really the, when we start talking about this, we really need to keep focus on how much money are you trying to spend because it, it it would devastate the economy. You would see people emigrating. We think we have a population decline now. By our guess, you're going to have over the next five years almost 2 million people more leaving because the tax rates that you need, because our assumption is you're not going to cut spending. You're going to try to raise taxes. The tax rates you need would be so high that it would discourage economic activity. And if you did it broad-based, you would actually be increasing people's tax rate by 54%. So for the average family, their income tax and their sales tax would go up by more than half in order to pay uh, for, for this policy. Well, and, and let me try this. I, I don't know the details of California's plan as well. You do. Does this apply to everybody who lives in California? Do you have to have lived there for a period of time? In other words, would you cause some in-migration as people say, well, I'm going to move to California and establish residency, and then I'll sign up for the benefit? They're giving away money. Why not? Well, yeah, and, and well, you know, are, are there provisions in there? Yes. You know, again, control, fraud, abuse. I mean, if you, if you go back to COVID money, uh, you know, and that nightmare, you know, when, when you're giving away a lot of money quickly, uh, waste, fraud, and abuse inevitably creeps in. So, you know, that's that's something we didn't get into, but certainly the practicality of executing this is a Herculean task. 
Uh, and, and that's, I think, another analysis that uh, probably needs to be done, which is can you actually achieve, can you, can you execute that? We, we didn't look at that. Our, our statement was this is financially unrealistic. You, you can't give away three quarters of your GDP and actually have a functioning state. It just, even if you do it over 30 years, it's, it's, it's just too much money. It's just, it's unrealistic. The, what you're saying, the, the, the actual uh, kind of logistics of it, that's, that's very unrealistic well, as well. And one of the reasons to ask that, Dr. Weingarten, is that when this subject comes up, so I've become, you know, m- m- very familiar with all the intricate details, there were black slaveholders in America. There were Irish slaveholders. There were Irish held as slaves. Does that mean we owe something to all the Irish people, or does California owe something to all the Irish people who are descended from, well, great-granddad was was held as a slave? It wasn't exclusively uh, bl- blacks in America, was it? No, I mean, when, when you start getting into those questions, again, <laughs> practicality of it becomes becomes overwhelming. Uh, you know, our, like I said, our focus has been on the fiscal, but yes, there's so many of these logistical issues that that would need to be addressed. Um, but and I think the other the other really important thing, and this is something we, we conclude with, which is. It is incredibly important for us to actually promote more opportunity for those who are lower income, for those yep. who, who don't have. And there's better ways to go about this. If the goal is to lift people up, AB5, which is, it denies people opportunities to work, school choice to get people education, address CEQA and zoning regulations to bring down cost of housing. There's so many ways that we can, uh, you know, especially in California, where we can lower uh, the cost and create more opportunity, and that 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 would benefit Black Americans. It would benefit Irish. It would, you know, it, it would be that that Ronald Reagan kind of lift a rising tide lifting all boats. It's actually John Kennedy, but it, it would be that broad based kind of we're going to lift everybody up, and that really needs to be our focus. How do we looking forward? How can we create more prosperity? And there are so many better ways to go about it than kind of just this idea of expanding government, higher taxes, more spending, more waste, fraud, abuse, all of these problems that would arise. That's just not the right way to generate the, the, the prosperity, which I think we could say all of us want. And Dr. Wayne Weingarten is with the Pacific Research Institute. And, of course, Dr. Weingarten, it occurred to me, if you're going to raise the tax rates that high to pay all these reparations, economic opportunity for a whole bunch of people goes away. Because if you say, well, these are the new tax rates, good luck starting a new business, good luck hiring employees, it's probably not going to happen. And I imagine a lot of those people are simply going to find homes elsewhere in America unless they were to make this, God forbid, a national program. Back in a moment, we'll get to your phone. Phone calls and emails. You've got the Lars Larson Show. The master is coming. Singing what I'm singing, but I'm just saying what you're thinking. 
This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you on what we like to call Conspiracy Theory Thursday. I want to get some of your calls, and then in a moment, I want to talk about this crazy plan to save the salmon. Yeah, I understand. Uh, for those of you who don't live in a salmon part of the, of, of the country, um, you know, look, it's great to make sure that we have uh, abundant amounts of fish of all kinds. The upper northeastern United States knows how important fishing is on that coast. And on the west coast, the big question is salmon, but is for the most part used as an excuse for environmentalists to both destroy development and destroy hydropower as well. But let me go first to Bruce in Nevada listening on KKFT. Bruce, you've heard all this talk about illegal aliens coming into the country, but you had a little piece of good news for your family that has to do with immigration, didn't you? Yes, I do. I'd like your listeners to know that today my son-in-law got sworn in as a citizen of the United States, received his naturalization certificate. Uh, He came here nine years ago. Uh, he got his green card work card. Uh, he fulfilled the requirement in years to apply for citizenship. And my point to your listeners, Lars, is that illegal entry is not immigration. And uh, I'm so proud of him, and I just want you all to know. You know, Bruce, you bring up something that's very important to me because um, I'll tell you what, when I was, I was born in Taiwan, my mom and dad were in the U.S. Navy, and I was born in Taiwan. And why is that relevant? There was a man uh, who, uh, because I was born over there, and my mom was taking care of me, and she needed some help. So they hired a guy, Joseph Koo. I've never been able to reconnect with the man, but he'd probably be, I'm guessing he'd be in his 80s, maybe even 90s by now. Uh, but what, what, after, you know, when I got to be six or seven years of age, uh, we'd, we'd put coin, you know, quarters and dimes and nickels. My family wasn't rich. My dad was a forest ranger. Mom stayed home with me. And so, but spare change, we'd throw it in a jar. And then about every six months or so, we'd take all that was in the jar, we'd turn it into paper money and then into a, a money order, and we'd send it to Joseph Koo. My mom wanted him to be able to immigrate to the United States. And I kept asking her, well, why can't he just come? I mean, we came back and she said, well, he has to go through the, you know, the process. And the waiting list for most countries on earth is five to seven years. So the average person walks into the consulate or the embassy and says, I'd like to immigrate to America. It's, it's a long wait. In, in your son's case or your son-in-law's case, how long was he waiting, uh, to be able to get his green card just to come into the United States? Was it a long wait or a short one? Yeah, it was a short one. And, uh, like I said, he, started out really at the bottom. It's amazing, you know, being a server. And uh, he wanted to be financially secure, working his way up, was able to buy a home. And most important, he never received a penny, no EBD, no EBD card, no welfare, nothing. And I have many other uh, friends. I even have a mentor from years back uh, that came from China that became a multimillionaire, you know, from having nothing. And uh, I could just go on and on and tell you, of many stories that this is a country of immigration, but, you know, you don't come in the back door. No, you don't. And what I wonder about is all those families that have a legitimate immigrant in their family, I wonder how they're what, what they're thinking. I mean, I can guess, but I, I wonder what they're thinking when you say this person, because when I think back to Joseph Koo, that man that, that my mom hired to help her out with cooking and cleaning and all that stuff, I mean, she was just a Navy wife. I mean, she wasn't, she was a registered nurse, but she wasn't working at the time. But when I think about 
uh, you know, if things were the way they are today, you just say, oh, uh, get a flight to Canada or to Mexico. We'll drive down there and we'll just drive you back in the car. And back in the day, you probably would have gotten away with it. And and then when the person was here, just say, well, you stay here long enough and uh, you never actually become a green card. But my mom and dad didn't believe in cheating the system. They didn't say, well, we'll just send him money for an air, or, you know, we'll accumulate the money to buy him an airline ticket. We'll fly him to Canada. We'll go up and pick him up in uh, Vancouver or some other place. And then we'll just drive back across the border and say he's a member of our family. Uh, they didn't believe in doing it that way. And I think this is an insult to everybody like your son-in-law who did it the right way and then, you know, spent all this time uh, to get his naturalization papers and do it right. And and Joe Biden is doing this, and it's really kind of stunning that apparently nobody on the Democrat side is willing to stand up to the president and say, this isn't right. You, We know what you're going to do. These 10 million people have come in. It's going to be very difficult to remove them, even though President Trump is promising after his reelection in November uh, that in January he's going to start a huge deportation process. And, Bruce, believe me, I think it's going to be ugly. Uh, not that I think it's not necessary. It is necessary, but it's going to be ugly because you're going to say to people who've been here in some cases, if they came in the first waves after Joe Biden took office, they've already been there three years. By the time Trump gets in, they'll been in there four years. And they'll say, well, I have a wife or I have a girlfriend. I have a child. I have this. I have that. I have all these connections to the community. And you say, but you're not here legally. You have to leave. And uh, uh, a lot of Americans aren't going to like that process. And yet just telling people, you know, the immigration system isn't broken. It's just ignored by the current federal government. They say it doesn't matter what it is. doesn't matter if there are people waiting in line. And I'll tell you something else. I don't know if it applies in your son-in-law's case, but there are a lot of people who are trying to come in legally, and in some cases they may have to have their case heard by an immigration judge. Those immigration judges are now buried in literally millions of cases that involve the illegal aliens. And there is there ought to be a separate line that says if you approach this legally, you know, you applied uh, to come to the United States legally, you got your green card, and you have to have your case heard, you should be in one line. Oh, you just walked across the desert and came into the country flouting all of our laws and said, I'm just going to stay. Your case goes to this other line, and you get to stay. But unfortunately, right now, we have people standing in the same line, which means we literally have people who are being told, I'm sorry, we can't hear your case for a long time, because we're dealing with all these people who came in illegally. The second thing that ought to bother people, Bruce, and I see it all the time, I'll have people call the show and they'll say, well, Lars, this because they've been listening to the Democrat talking points, the statistics show that immigrants are actually more law-abiding than, uh, than, than even citizens of the United States. Now, if you consider that an immigrant means both the person who came in illegally and the person who, like your son-in-law, who came in legally, if you mix those two together, yeah, it's a very law-abiding group. Because if your son hopes to become, a, he got his naturalization, so he took the test. He's now a citizen. Is that right? Correct. Okay. So he knew when he had a green card, because I used to have a producer who was a, who was a green card alien. She was from Canada. She'd come here as a little girl with her folks. And she told me, she said, I know the laws. If I ever commit a crime in this country, they can pull my green card and I will have to go back to Canada. And uh, I said, that's, you know, that's tough. 
but it, but it certainly gives you a reason to follow the law. So the people with green cards have a tremendous incentive to follow all the laws and not get in trouble. The person who's come here illegally, their whole presence here is illegal. They have no incentive to follow the law at all. I mean, the worst you can do is send them home. And then all they do is just come back in. And, and I know that's true because there are so many cases of serious crimes up to and including murder that have been committed by people who came to the country illegally, got kicked out, came right back, got kicked out again. In other words, the, the first time you enter illegally, it's a federal civil infraction. It's not a crime. The second time after you've been deported, it is a federal felony to reenter the country if you've been deported. And so those people, if you're already looking at a felony just for being here, why should you worry about following any of the other laws, which is probably why we hear about so many drunk driving fatalities involving illegal aliens. They don't have to follow the law. They are above the law. And we are the second class citizens. Bruce, thanks for the call. And between the spy balloons and the cyber attacks, China's constant attacks on America are only getting worse. And those are the ones we can actually see with our eyes if we've got eyes to see and ears to hear. But is our own government standing in the way of actually dealing with these problems? Seton Motley heads up the group called uh, Less Government, and he joins me now. Seton, welcome back. Hey, man, how are you? I'm with I, I'm fine. And I, I agree with you. NATO should have gone away a long time ago. I know people are. So well, I'm shocked that you would say that. And you say, well, you built you built NATO to, to deal primarily with the uh, the bear, you know, the old Soviet Union. It doesn't exist, hasn't existed for more than 30 years. So why are we still in it? What is it actually doing? Is right. it just a legislative well, inertia? Well, well, also, we've found out um, from a guy who's in the know, there's a Tucker Carlson interview that I sent you where he said NATO actually helped with the Trump-Russia collusion lie. They were a part of it. Um, but beside, beyond that, look, if NATO wants to continue as a European thing, I'm not, I, you know, you can, you, if they want to pay for it and keep it up fine, I don't know why we're still in it. You know, the Warsaw Pact dissolved in 91. We should have left five minutes after that. We, you know, they can, it, there are four countries in Western Europe, with a, each with an economy bigger than Russia's. Two of them have nukes. I think it's their continent. Let them handle it. So the reason we're talking about this is because I begin the piece by saying Russia logically and logistically is not a threat to the United States. Um, they're, they're a gas station with a nation attached to it. Um, they've, got, they've got virtually no other economy. The, um, the, the, they're, uh, like I said, as we just said, there's a bunch of countries in Europe with, with, that aren't great economies that are bigger than Europe, uh, than uh, Russia's. Um, it's just, it's not a geostrategic threat, but what have we heard? Ru- you know, it's Russia, Russia, Russia. It's the Brady Bunch. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Well, they're, they're obsessed we- with it. And Seton, I got to throw this in. You know, in the last couple of weeks, we've found out for sure, I mean, we suspected it, that the CIA operated secret bases in Ukraine, right on Russia's border. And and 12 of them, a dozen of them. And what I've told people is I've said, look, think of it this way. 
You know, we know about the Cuban Missile Crisis, but that's not missiles. But if China came to Mexico and say, hey, we've done you a bunch of solids, as they have lately, uh, and, and they always do something for a reason, we'd like to set up a, a bunch of spy bases along America's border, your northern border. And Mexico, you know, says, well, by the way, they're, some- do- they're doing that's not hypothetical. They're doing no. it now. Yep. There's a there's a there's a camp south of the Darien Gap. The, there's a there's a highway that goes from Alaska through Canada all the way through the United States down to the uh, to the southern end. Mexico border. Well, right. actually, I guess and, you can actually drive all the way t- down to down to the bottom of South America if you want to, right? Well, you can't because of the Darien Gap, and it's not a gap in the mountains. It's just really dense forest that they didn't bother hacking into to continue the highway. So south of the Darien Gap. There's a Chinese camp that Michael Yan is a, a former special forces he's guy been on who a went few down times. there. Yep, that's right. And he's been down there. And they said they were, one guy said, "Oh, well, you know, they wouldn't let him into the camp. They wouldn't let you know. They wouldn't tell him anything." He he speaks Mandarin Chinese, I think. Um, and one guy said, "Oh, I'm from Korea." So he tricked <laughs> him into speaking. He spoke. He tricked him into speaking Mandarin because Yan spoke Mandarin and. As soon as the guy slipped up and spoke Mandarin, all the people around him laughed because they were, you know. Um, so they're they're leading a an invasion. You know, we remember the movie. Um, what? No, uh, Patriot Games, Patriot where Games, Fred yeah. Thompson, late Fred Thompson, said the communists don't take a dump without a plan. Well, for decades they had the one child policy, which resulted in a bunch of children that were all males, and now look what they've got. They've got a you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of males with no breeding prospects. So, gee, why don't they just run them into the United States? You which know, they're now done. military age. Which they've yeah, done. Which and, they're doing and, right now. I, I guess all I'm saying is, Seton, when everybody scoffed at the idea that Russia said, hey, Ukraine's a threat to us. Uh, and, and Putin was pretty clear in the interview he did with Carlson. He said, look, you've been trying to get Ukraine into NATO. You don't want them to be neutral. You had Obama who engineered a revolution in 2014 to change the leadership of that country. And then you maintain 46 or 47 secret biolabs, which everybody said, oh, they're just working on public health. Really? Is that why Victoria Newland sat in front of, uh, I think it was Rand Paul, and when he said, uh, are there, are we running biolabs there, weapons labs there? And she said, we can't let them fall into the hands of the Russians. And I said, and we've run the soundbite a dozen times, and I said, if all you're treating is syphilis and the flu, are you really worried about that clinic falling into That's the Russians' right. hands, or are you cooking on something else up there? Well, th- this gets us back to Wuhan and gain of function. Yep. And I'm still, I'm not a doctor, but I have to ask again, what is the upside <laughs> to gain of function research? None. What what positives uh, it, it, uh, follow from adding disease variants with with additional lethalities and 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 problems? Well, well how, about this, Seton, Seton, how about this, Seton? How about this? How about taking a disease that does not infect humans and say, what would happen if we and made this hurting. infect humans? Right. And you go, what, what is the upside? And they said, well, we have to make it so we know what to protect against. And I said, hold on a second. This seems crazy to say, let's engineer a disease that doesn't currently infect humans and make it infect humans and then make it more dangerous than it was originally. Don't we have lots of disease- 
don't we have a lot of diseases that already exist that yes. we can work on? Work on those. Um, yes, and, and, and it, look, it's it's. And by the way, this is forgotten. You know, I, I I think you know I'm not a big fan of Obama, but the reason this went to Ukraine and you and China and other places is because Obama outlawed. Bandit. Well, and, and you know, why did he outlaw it? I've pointed this out to my audience a hundred times. He said, this stuff is too dangerous. You are forbidden to do it. And what they took, the Fauci and company said, oh, he means it's too dangerous to do here. So let's go to a communist dictatorship that we're at odds with and let's do it there instead. Like that makes more sense. From a country from which we import 90 percent of our medicines. Yep. Really smart thinking. Really smart thinking. Fauci should be in prison um, yes. for a very for the rest of his mid, short little life, and I mean that in multiple ways. Um, <laughs> as someone who's six five, I like making fun of. Uh, anyway, you're um, not Jack Reacher. Yeah, he's not posting up anybody. Let's put it that way. Um, but but no, look, it's just it's so infuriating, that, you know. And DC, of course. We just saw Mitch McConnell finally hang up, hang it up. Thank His God. wife's been making money out of China for decades. Um, of course, Biden, we know, got, what is it, up to 33 million? We know the Bidens have gotten from communist China. This is why D.C.'s not doing anything about China. And they need a fake boogeyman like Russia to, 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 to just counterbalance all that. That's Seat Motley from Lust Government. You got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly, provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Never apologize for being patriotic. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson show it's conspiracy theory thursday as we've called it for years and you're welcome to the program we got a lot to talk about of course joe biden's border visit which has turned into a kind of a disaster for joe biden although i'm sure for the democrat party it means lots and lots of illegal voters these are all undocumented democrats that are being allowed into america and joe biden doesn't have the first clue he spent exactly 19 minutes at america's border today had to read off prepared remarks and prepared questions, even the questions he asked of some of the border agents and border officials were prepared and written down on a note card so you could just read the questions. Has there ever been a politician in your memory who is so feeble that he can't ask his own questions, that he can't stand up and talk for a few minutes? I mean, he only spent 19 minutes at the border today. In any case, glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Let me tell you what uh, is coming up on the show. And by the way, naysayers, if you call in as a naysayer, for more than a quarter century, we have always treated naysayers well on this show. You go right to the head of the line. If you've got the guts and you say, I disagree with you, I'd be glad to hear it. If you're one of those people who plans to vote for Joe Biden in November, maybe you're going to vote for him in the primary in your state as well. Yeah, by all means. But tell me, why would you vote for the guy? What is it you think 
that he's actually managed to accomplish in the last three years, other than laying waste to a great country that can be great again, but not under the leadership of Joseph R. Biden. About 64% of Americans call themselves Christians today. It may sound like a lot, but 50 years ago, that number was 90%. And why is there a downward trend? I'll get to that a little bit later on this hour. Has the Biden administration been hiding COVID-19 safety data from the American people? We'll get into that as well. And what does a recent leak by Chinese hackers tell us about the Chicom surveillance and attacks on America? Oh, and if you don't mind, take a, take a moment. It doesn't cost anything. Vote in our poll on X. We put up a brand new poll every day. Would you let an illegal alien live in your home for $125 a night? Because there are all these big cities that are overrun by illegal aliens. They have no place to put them. They've already kicked veterans out of nursing homes to make room. They've kicked people out of hotels to make room for illegal aliens. And they've asked, I mean, Massachusetts, Boston at least, actually asked its residents, would you voluntarily take in a family of illegal aliens for at least 90 days? So now New York City Mayor Eric Adams proposed a couple of days ago, Monday of this week, that New Yorkers accept illegal aliens into their private homes and they would be paid for it. Take in one illegal alien, it's 125 bucks per person per day. Now, they say that's cheaper than putting these people up in hotels. Maybe it is. Can you imagine having to bribe citizens and say, if you take an illegal alien in for 30 days... We're going to give you almost $4,000. Take in two, we'll pay you almost $8,000. Would you do that? My answer to that is no. They shouldn't be here at all. They're not staying in my home. And especially after you hear about the murder of Lake and Riley, the rapes of two 14-year-old girls, one in Maryland, one in Louisiana, uh, the 11-year-old who was raped in Provo, Utah. And in all of those cases, the people who are now formally accused of those crimes, the murder, the three rapes, the rape of an 11-year-old girl, all illegal aliens. In fact, in the Provo case, this just happened in the last couple of days, the man actually said to the police, yep, he had sex with an 11-year-old. Oh, and by the way, they found an illegal social security card in his pocket. And where do you think he got that? So, would you let an illegal alien live in your home for $125 a night as New York City is now offering its residents? Apparently, they got money to burn back there because they have tens of thousands of illegals. And they're going to start paying 4000 bucks a month, very nearly, to house them somewhere in private homes. And how crazy would you have to be? to take an unvetted illegal alien. You know nothing about this person. You know nothing about their criminal background, about their possible terrorist connections. You know nothing about it. But Eric Adams is happy to pay, spend the taxpayers' money that way. You can find the poll on X at Lars Larson Show on X on our website at LarsLarson.com. And it's brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I joined the group, and you should too. Just go to AMAC.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better, better for you and better for America. Let me go first to Ken in Idaho. Hey, Ken, thanks for listening on KIDO. What's on your mind today? Thank you, Mr. Larson. I was curious. I, I was just trying to confirm if I heard earlier on your show that 
there was discussion that we should have multiple lines for uh, people and some exclusions. Did I hear that correctly? Yes. And and to just to explain, I've talked to immigration judges and former immigration judges, and I've asked them, when you have somebody who's come into the country illegally, but they want to stay and they claim uh, asylum status, for example, that has to be heard by an immigration judge. If you are legitimately emigrating to the United States, you may have a case that has to be heard by an immigration judge. And I've asked these judges, are there two systems, one to handle the people who just walked across the desert from Mexico and one to handle all the people who did it the right way? And the answer was no. All those cases are mixed in together. And if it were me, I'd say if you came in illegally, you're going to be heard by a different system. You know, there's still have to be a federal immigration judge who's going to refuse your asylum claim as they do about 95% of the time. But why you would put okay, legitimate... I understand your point there. Okay. Well, I want... Oh, no, but I want the audience to understand what we're talking about. Ken. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you for the recap. Uh, myself and five of my friends are going to come and we're going to break into your house. Uh, some of them will take some of the valuable items. Some of them will just take your medicine and some food. And then some of us just want to live there. But uh, perhaps you can make uh, a separate case for each one of the five of us. There's, there are more illegals than there are in my entire state of Idaho uh, by a, a factor of seven times. So I'm not uh, sure what your point is, going, though. Well, to, to say that we're going to set up uh, uh, an exclusion of uh, subpart A, paragraph C, line 37, and, and have this officiated effectively, we are so far past that. And uh, it's well. Then what would you suggest? Would you suggest that the uh, legitimate, the legitimate person who's emigrating to America and has done it the right way has to stand behind a long, long line of illegal aliens? No, I would say get all of the illegal aliens out, like President. I've been for that all along, Ken, and I've and I've and actually there are ways to do it. Donald Trump says he's going to have massive deportation. I would also suggest that the IRS change its rules, and it was proposed in Congress more than 15 years ago, and say to every company in America, if you've got people on your staff and you want to deduct the wages you pay for them at tax time, you have to supply a name, a DOB, a Social Security number, and they have to be legally here. If they're not, you can't deduct their wages. That would shut down an awful lot of people who are currently using illegal aliens, and once unemployed... Illegal aliens quickly self-deport, and we'll save ourselves a lot of time and effort. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. vegan actually is they say cows are bad for the environment because all they do is eat plants and fart just like vegans this is the lars larson show welcome back to the lars larson show and by the way about that liner that just played you know about what vegans do if you don't believe me uh letitia james having finished with donald trump is now suing one of the biggest beef producers in america saying she wants the place shut down she doesn't want people to eat meat anymore, and she's suing based on climate. So just consider the kind of lunacy that's going on in our government right now. I do want to tell you about this. A massive data leak 
exposed Chinese hackers' infiltration tactics, including breaches into Apple's iPhone and social media accounts. So how bad is the Chinese cyber espionage? Miles Yu is a senior fellow and director of the China Center at the Hudson Institute. Miles, welcome back. Thank you for having me again, Lars. How bad is it? It's pretty bad, but then it's expected because it's been bad for a long time. Uh, the Chinese system uh, uh, has hacked into American data centers uh, from the very top down. I mean, uh, they have done this uh, in 2020, 2015. They stole the entire uh, classified information, uh, personal information of the uh, Office of Personnel Management of 21 million federal employees' uh, sensitive data, like fingerprints and security clearance information and, and so on. And then uh, the same year, they also hacked into the, uh, the second largest insurance company, Anthem Incorporation. That's uh, stole information about, uh, about 80 million customers and employees, uh, names, the birthplace, uh, birth date, social security number, and the you name it. And then, of course, uh, two years later, Equifax, one of the three major uh, credit score rating firms, uh, China uh, hacked into that. They stole uh, inform- inform- information of 147 million Americans, a massive uh, uh, breach. So, um, and then against that, Trump administration actually charged four perpetrators, uh, um, uh, indicted them, and of course, they were still at large. And then, of course, what's the best uh, concentration of information? The hotel chains. Maria International Hotel Chinese uh, uh, reservation system was hacked by China in 2018. That uh, contained uh, critical passport numbers, travel information, and other personal data of 383 million guests. And, and of course, uh, they also do uh, they hack the Microsoft. They try to hack into uh, Amazon's database, corporate database. And uh, just several months ago, the Chinese hackers hacked into the U.S. Naval Undersea Warfare Center in uh, um, Newport, Rhode Island. This is a critical weapons uh, development system or submarines, uh, a lot of secrets over there. So the Chinese system, hacking system, is massive and very dangerous. Now, let me ask you about this, Miles, because in the United States, when people go in and they break in and they hack, usually into some place where there's information that can be turned into cash, it's a crime in the United States, and the United States government works against it. But am I right in suspecting that outfits like iSoon, this Shanghai-based company, when they're doing this, oftentimes they may be doing it on, on the say-so of the Chinese government, even though the Chinese government isn't going to admit that out loud, but they're doing the Chinese government's work. Am I right in suspecting that? You're absolutely right. I mean, uh, we all know the Chinese are very good at human intelligence. They actually said they actually spies over there. Well, they continue to be good in 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 that uh, ground. On that ground, they are far more uh, effective, uh, far more um, pernicious when it comes to cyber hacking, cyber espionage, because it's very uh, stealthy and it's protected. And also, mostly, there's a lack of international uh, judicial system to prosecute, to prosecute the, those people. It's very hard to find who's actually behind this because of cyber. It's, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's globalizing, too. So the, that's basically it. The, the Chinese companies um, inside China don't believe anything they said about Chinese private companies. There's no such a thing. Every Chinese company is subject to, uh, uh, to the coercion by the Chinese state intelligence and security organizations because by law, that's the way you must comply. 
So that's why it, it is a uh, it is silly to to even think about you know put a lot of your money invest in China and still be uh, safe and uh, without risk. And yet there are so many people in America on Wall Street and elsewhere who are putting massive amounts of capital into China because what they see a gigantic return. Is that it? Well, there's two things, right? One is that China is basically a world factory. You know, the labor is cheap, and the government, government pretty much like you know, can benefit from your investment over there. You put your manufacturing uh, capabilities over there, and Chinese basically stole all your technology and you manufacture uh, secrets. So that's how a few years later they kicked out, and then that's how China is now developing its own. Uh, manufacturing uh, machine tools and uh, technologies over there. So they that's one. And secondly, I think for, for, that's, that's right. I think for, for a lot of uh, American companies, uh, they are really eyeing for Chinese market. Uh, Chinese market. And again, that, that once again, that's kind of is also illusional, partly because uh, uh, Chinese people's purchasing power are <laughs> limited, uh, despite what Chinese government said about 800 million people uh, out of uh, uh, poverty. And that's basically propaganda. You, you understand the average uh, income of average people, 1.3 billion people, uh, in addition to the 100 million Chinese Communist Party members, their average income is fewer than $500 a month. So think about that. How much can they buy? You know, so so that's why it's, it's, uh, the market is, is limited. Uh, the purchase power is limited. Secondly, um, and I think also uh, uh, there is a myth about the Chinese uh, middle class. Uh, Chinese uh, middle class uh, really doesn't really exist in a true sense because there's no constitutional guarantee property rights. You might get rich temporarily. Government basically won't come and hurt. Once you get rich normally, the government comes here to, to take money away from you through all kinds of means. So that's why when people get rich temporarily, next moment they think about getting out of China. So capital flight is a huge issue in China, too, because nobody trusts that system. But, but I guess to get back to the original uh, issue, Miles, because all of that I think is, is fascinating. But if the Chinese government isn't going after these hackers, if it's only us, how does the United States protect itself against something that's being run as an arm of the state in China and has that kind of protection and we can only go after them from a distance? That sounds like virtually impossible, is it? Yes, there is a lack of international regime uh, dealing with this cyber crime. Now, there is a 2001 uh, European proposed uh, uh, sort of Budapest conventions that dealing with the cyber crime, with the assumption that somehow sovereign government states will go after the cyber criminals. But in this case, China case, uh, it doesn't work because the cyber criminal is Chinese government. So where is that uh, sort of a legal authority to to prosecute the state actors? That's why where there's a cyber hacking business is kind of like a wild west. And so there's no law. And I think, you know, each sovereign country, the best thing they could do is to to sort of act very quickly to build up a very strong self-defense uh, cyber protection system. Uh, U.S. Should, should be doing that right now. I mean, there's part of me, Miles, that says not just protect us, but is there any way to counterattack? I mean, there are hackers that use denial-of-service attacks. They, they use a bunch of different means. Is there any way to strike back when you find out somebody's a bad actor and they've been hacking in? Is there any way to reach out remotely? If they're reaching out remotely to steal from you, is there a way to re- for the U.S., if it was willing to do this, to reach out and remotely do damage to them? 
Yeah, well, there are two aspects of, of, of your question, which is a very salient uh, point, uh, I think. Uh, number one, uh, that is uh, the global system uh, that the United States system is based upon, which is a free trading system, transparency, free flow of information, uh, requires a stable and uh, system of information transmission. So for that purpose, it's actually a very uh, – uh, uh, it's not really a good idea to escalate this kind of a, a cyber war because it's going to stable, destable the, the global financial and the information system. On the other hand, um, if you basically, you know, if Chinese government weaponized this, this kind of a cyber activities, and many countries would have no choice but to do the same thing, it's called reciprocity, right? So yeah. uh, I think uh, there's a lot of weakness and vulnerabilities of Chinese system too. And whether we're doing that or not, whether we should be doing that, that, I'll leave that to the cyber warriors uh, somewhere in Fort Meade. And, and maybe That's leave it to the, uh, the politicians to decide whether or not we should strike back that way. Miles, it's always a pleasure. That's Miles Yu, who is a senior fellow and director at the China Center at the Hudson Institute. Back in a moment, I'll get to your phone calls and emails. And why are so many American Christians turning away from Christianity? The Lars Larson Show. Right arm, right leg. At least someone has a plan for illegal aliens. Back in the White House, I will terminate every open borders policy of the Biden administration and begin the largest deportation operation in American history. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you. I want to take a moment or two just to talk about something that concerns me deeply, but I have a piece of disclosure to make as well, because I always tell you that if I have a bias, if I have, as I like to say, a dog in the fight, um, then I'm going to tell you what it is, and then you can take what I have to say with a grain of salt or whatever you'd like to. I know naysayers will just say, oh, he's going to admit he's wrong. I'm a Protestant Christian. I'm a very deeply committed Christian. My wife and I spend usually a half an hour to an hour in the book every single night. And if you say, the book, which book is that? Well, the most popular book on planet Earth, folks, the most published book in all of history, the book with uh, 44 authors and 66 different uh, chapters and books. And we do it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And it's a good idea uh, to get into the book as often as you possibly can, daily if you if possible. And if you can't do it that way, just sitting in the pew in church once a week I don't think it's a done, and sadly, even the book warns you about the dangers of organized religion. There are so many people in organized religion, and it's one of my complaints about the way that Christianity is practiced in America, who've forgotten about the book to a large extent, and they make it mostly about whatever the doctrine of that church happens to be. I was thinking about that when I saw these new numbers that came out from something called the General Social Survey. In the 1990s, 90% of Americans said they were Christian. You say, well, that's not surprising, right? As a, 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 a country that was founded on Christian values, it's, it has a constitution that very much reflects a Christian identity. It was founded by Christian believers like George Washington and others uh, who believed that our rights come from God. Now, these days, 
You've got folks like MSNBC and guests on MSNBC, and even one guest in particular in this last week or so, who's from Politico.com, who said, well, these uh, these MAGA types, the ones that believe their rights come to them as God-given rights, and they don't believe they come from government or a piece of paper. Yeah, that's what we believe. She said, we're the dangerous ones. We're the, we're the Christian nationalists. Now, I reject that title. I know that it's a pejorative title. It's a derogatory title, trying to say that if you believe in God and Jesus Christ, and if you believe that your rights come from God, as the founders of this country believed, and as the Constitution reflects, that, um, that somehow you are a Christian nationalist. I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to disparage Christianity. Except guess what's happened? In 1996, the share of unaffiliated Americans jumped to 12%. So in other words, you start out with an America in the 1990s that was 90% Christian, goes to 88 in 96, goes to 86 two years later. And the end result is that Today, according to this general social survey published by Pew Research, and I don't always like the polls out of Pew, but I think this one's pretty close to the mark. 29% of Americans now tell the Pew Research folks they have no religion. More than 40% of Americans between the ages of 20 and 34, so think younger Americans, more than 40% are religiously unaffiliated compared with less than 15% of older Americans. That'd be people like me. Uh, Seven in ten adults who are raised Christian but are now unaffiliated are Democrats, or they lean toward Democrats, at least that's what they tell Pew Research, compared with 43% of those who remain Christian and 51% of U.S. adults overall. So when I say that sometimes I have to deal with uh, godless pagans, it's true. And the godless pagan group is increasing, and the group of Americans who call themselves Christians is actually shrinking. And here's the way Pew puts it. Americans continually identifying as none when it comes to religion, meaning that they're either an atheist, an agnostic, or they don't believe in anything in particular. I always like to ask people like that, if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe even in the Christian God that I believe in, then where do you think your rights are coming from? And they'll say, well, the Constitution. I said, the Constitution does not grant a single right. Read the document. It doesn't grant rights. It tells the government, these people who live in America, and the Constitution applies to everybody in this country, whether you're a believer or not, but they got their rights from God. And you, the government, are to stay out of them and do not violate these God-given rights. About 28% of U.S. adults religiously unaffiliated, according to the National Public Opinion Reference Survey uh, that's conducted every year by Pew Research. The second largest religious group in the survey, 40% of Protestants and 20% of Catholics, but a huge number of Americans simply say, I don't believe in anything. And I think that's a sad state for this country to be in. I think God has blessed this country, and and, and I'm sharing some personal views with you at this point, so take them for what they're worth. I think God blessed this country. I I think, as Ben Franklin once observed, that if a sparrow couldn't fall from the sky without God taking notice, there was no way in the world 
that the founders of this country would be able to pull it off without God's assistance. And I think that happened. So I'm glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can vote in our poll on X, what used to be called the Twitter poll. Uh, Would you let an illegal alien or more than one live in your home if the city of New York was willing to pay you $125 a night to house them? The city now figures it has 72,000 illegal aliens, and more than 45,000 of them are living in emergency shelters and hotels. And just last week, the city said they had 2,200 new arrivals, and the problem is they got no place to put them. Now, to some extent, I look at that situation and I say, you know, you deserve this because, New York, you chose this. About 85% of New Yorkers vote Democrat. You elected Joe Biden. If you were listening, you heard him say, if you make me president, I'm going to invite people to come into the country across a border illegally, and we're going to make room for them. You knew that was happening. And your city, at least the people you voted for, for mayor and city council, decided to make New York City a sanctuary city, meaning you were not going to cooperate at all. That if the police in your town, in this case New York City, although there are a lot of other sanctuary cities like Athens, Georgia, where uh, Lake and Riley was murdered, uh, those cities say we're a sanctuary for illegal aliens. Well, a lot of these cities are now starting to change their tune to a dramatic degree, saying we can't handle all of this, and now they're demanding that the U.S. Congress bail them out for billions and billions and billions of dollars. So... Would you let an illegal alien live in your home if the city you live in was willing to pay you $125 a night? Figure that's close to $4,000 every month for every illegal alien that you take in. My answer to that would be no. You can find our poll on X at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. And always brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I joined the group a long time ago. You should too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better, better for you and better for America. Let's go to Jason. Hey, Jason, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars. Um, thanks for taking my call. Sure. So um, you're talking about how they're talking about putting people into all these uh, in New York and uh, um, living in there for $125 a day. Well, I see a huge problem that nobody's really looking at. Um, I used to be a landlord. Jason, be uh, we had to get, a, get to it quicker than that, and I'm sorry about that. Glad to have your call, though. Message from Lars. I'd like to apologize to anyone I've not offended yet. Please be patient. I'll get to you shortly. Who's next? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to bring back my friend John Solomon, who's both a political commentator and he's also founder of JustTheNews.com. 
John, uh, I don't have any problem with anybody who wants to sue the Biden administration, but it always amazes me that a president <laughs> can say, I'm going to go out and look out for the people, but if the people want to know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and the things I'm doing on the inside, you're not allowed to know. Why has JustTheNews.com brought, laws, brought a lawsuit against the Biden administration? Yeah, we have two pending actually now. One of them is for Joe Biden's pseudonym emails, because we want to know what he was doing on a private email account while he was vice president. But today we filed a brand new one with, uh, in conjunction with America First Legal, which is a nonprofit public interest law firm. Uh, and we're suing to force the disclosure of a secret uh, adverse events database uh, that the government's in keeping for the COVID-19 vaccine. So we all know about the public database. It's called VAERS. Yeah. Uh, and it's, yes, and uh, there's plenty of data in there that's a matter of public debate right now. But in the last few months, we were able to ascertain, uh, because scientists have been bragging about it at meetings, and a medical journal actually disclosed it, there's a backdoor second database that they're not making public, where uh, updates come in and diagnosis come in, and significant new data about the potential impact of COVID-19 vaccine safety is being chronicled and not disclosed to the public. We put a FOIA in to the CDC and the FDA, which are the two agencies that manage the database. Uh, neither one uh, engaged. And so today, after the mandatory amount of time, uh, we were fortunate enough to work with America First Legal. We've sued because we uh, our system on vaccines requires transparency. And if we don't have transparency, we all can't make informed decisions when it comes to the safety of vaccines. You know, John, I filed a lot of FOIAs as a reporter, and it was kind of like throwing a bottle in the ocean with a note, hoping that someday somebody (laughs) would find it and write back to you. But so I applaud what you're doing. Believe me, it it takes and people say, oh, just file a FOIA request as though it's like, you know, ordering something at a store. It's not. It's very difficult. It can be very expensive. But but I always assumed as a reporter, I didn't try to get too far into assumptions, but I'd say if they're trying to hide this data, it's not because it makes them look good or righteous in whatever it is they're doing. It's usually they're hiding yeah. it because it's going to make them look bad. Do you think that's too broad an assumption? Well, listen, I think there is a clear history now where I think America's coming to grips with it, that the effort to push the mRNA vaccine to come up with a solution when we were all panicked about the pandemic, uh, there was a lot of sales jobs going on about the mRNA vaccine. It really didn't go through the normal vetting process. It was rushed. Right through. Inevitably, there was going to be some problems with it. I think most people knew that. Uh, The right way to solve this is not to hide it, but to be straight up with the American people, fix what's wrong, address what's right. Uh, But instead, the medical establishment throughout this pandemic has tried to hide from the American people key data, the origins of the virus, where it came from. I I think most common sense people said, of course, it came from China, but there was a two-year effort to silence that debate and hide its origins from the Wuhan lab. Uh, similarly, uh, the uh, efficacy of some of the uh, non-vaccine treatments that could have made us uh, better, quicker, perhaps. There was an effort to suppress those debates, uh, ivermectin and, and other uh, uh, treatments. And now we're finding out that there's an effort to suppress uh, the number of data uh, or the data points that give us the best picture of what uh, the safety of this vaccine is. And again, I'm not anti-vax. Most Americans aren't. But uh our whole medical system rests on the idea that we have informed consent, that we make a decision after we know the risks, and we can't do that if there's a two, a second database that has been kept from our public knowledge.
Now, I know you've been a, a print reporter most of your career, but you're now doing, me, you know, other media as well. I've been sure. in radio most of my time. But one of my favorite sound bites that we ran, we haven't run it again recently, but a couple of weeks ago I ran one. It was from Fauci at a uh, conference, yeah. I believe it was either 2018 or 2019, and he was asked, well, yeah. what ha- what happens if we get another bad uh, pandemic? And he said, well, we'll have to develop a vaccine. But getting through that mm-hmm. whole process, it'll take a minimum of 10 years, and it'll have to go through all the protocols to make sure it's safe. I'm paraphrasing what he said, and I think I'm doing it accurately. And then yeah. a year later, we were in exactly that situation, and they said, no, we yep. can bang it out in about nine months, which they did. Yeah. Yeah, listen, there is some credit to the medical establishment for working quickly and trying to come up with something. But when you... When you compress a four to six to eight to 10 year uh, process into one or two years, you inject a certain amount of risk. And uh, the way you mitigate that risk is by being straight with the public, letting you know. And it took us a very long time to get our medical establishment, including our government agencies, to say, hey, there is a myocarditis signal. There are young people that get inflamed hearts. Some of the time, it's not you know widespread, but it's enough that it should be informed. But for a while, the foot was on the pedal trying to keep us from getting that information. That's a big problem. There's more distrust in the public health establishment today because of the lack of transparency. Americans will give a lot of credit, and they'll give some leeway to medicine when they know they're trying to do things experimentally. But informed consent and transparency is the key to keeping that trust. The last few years have not been a very good uh, record for the government and for drug companies in giving us that transparency. You know, but John, there's one uh, it, it, we call t- today conspiracy theory Thursday. We've been doing it for a long time because it always <laughs> seemed to be the day that I get a lot of callers and I don't always arrive with one. But my conspiracy right. theory is this. They saw people, they had people who said, there's this brand new experimental technology we've never used this way before. Yep. So we're going to do that. They weren't just saying, well, we'll pick some, you know, stuff off the shelf that's already proven and, you know, combine that's it, right. make something. And they said, but to do that, we'll need emergency use authorization. And to get that, right. we have to prove, we have to have the government say there is no other acceptable treatment, not vitamin D, right. not ivermectin, not hydroxychloroquine. We've got to rule yeah. those out. Otherwise, we can't get the approval. But there is there are billions of dollars to be made if we can get there. Yeah. And I think that's what they did. I think some people with money said we can make a ton of money. And they did. Uh, if we can yeah. prove if we can just have the government rule all these things out to the point where you had governors, not just, you know, the federal government governors saying right. you can't buy this stuff. We will forbid you yep. from writing a prescription. You cannot buy this stuff. You are not allowed to have it. They had to maintain that to make a lot of money. And I think that's the conspiracy theory for me today. Yeah, listen, I, a lot of that is just true fact. I mean, Senator Ron Johnson has done such a good job chronicling this in, in hearings and helping people understand it. We were panicked. We had never seen a pandemic like this in our modern times. And in that panic, some decisions were made not just for profit, but to maybe lower the panic, get us back to some sense of normalcy. Some decisions were made for pure profit. But all of those decisions could have been mitigated with transparency and honesty. We didn't get a lot of it for a long time. We're getting it now. And it's going to be a painful truth for us to absorb for the next few years that perhaps we did things wrong. But if we're going to get the next pandemic right, we have to go through that process. And our government has to stop not trusting us. It has to give us the data and let us make our own decisions uh, and our, with our doctors. That's what it's about. John, i got to wrap up. But the last thing I want to leave you with, I've been asking from the beginning. 
What is the perp- what is the good purpose of developing more dangerous diseases through gain of function? And if you can't tell me a good purpose, I'll have to agree with Barack Obama. We should ban that kind of research altogether. That's John Solomon from justthenews.com. The Lars Larson Show. People say our country is... Okay, it's a nice ride. It's going to happen. Stand by, playback. I know. Lars. Real Red Meat Radio. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly, provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Never apologize. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Now, here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. We have done the work uh, to make sure we're dealing with a broken immigration system. The Republicans have gotten in the way. They have gotten in the way. And that's what we continue to see over and over and over again. That, of course, is the gaslight gal herself, Karine Jean-Pierre, affirmative action hire at the White House, telling Americans that Joe Biden is doing the border job that they hired him to do. Now, this takes a certain amount of chutzpah when you show up in front of TV cameras and you say, of course, my boss is doing the job. When, in fact, Americans just have to open their eyes and open their ears and understand he's not doing anything of the sort. He has created the problem. Yeah, you'd have to be kind of a very, very simple minded Democrat to be able to buy that kind of nonsense. But meanwhile, Joe Biden is on the border. He landed a short time ago, didn't take any questions, just got out of Air Force One and into that big beast, the limousine. And his own Border Patrol kind of sets the tone for this one, because Joe Biden, as you'll remember, is the head of the executive branch of government. And his own Border Patrol, the union that represents all those Border Patrol agents that are supposed to safeguard America's border, the one that Joe Biden has making a fast track for illegal aliens into the country, simply processing people and not keeping anybody out at all. Do you know what the union said to Joe Biden? And they made it very direct and very blunt. They said, keep our name out of your mouth today because they know what's going to happen. But let's get into some of the details of that in just a moment. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. If you're a naysayer, I'm going to put you right to the head of the line. I'd love to get a naysayer who thinks that Joe Biden is doing a fantastic job on the border. Because right now, the public opinion polls say Joe's approval rating among all Americans, Democrats, Republicans, and independents on border issues, his approval rating is about... 26. That means about three quarters of the country thinks he's not doing a good job. And let me make the case for that. In my mind, the blood of innocence, including children, is dripping off the hands of Joe Biden today as he visits the scene of his biggest crime, America's southern border. Violent crime connected to illegal alien invaders invited openly by candidate Joe Biden way back in 2019 and 2020 has now spiked throughout America. Most recently, the mutilation and murder of 22-year-old Lake and Riley in Georgia. Uh, An illegal alien has been charged. And what we know about this man is that he was caught at the border 
and Joe Biden's Border Patrol was forced to turn him loose. Then he was caught again in New York City by the police. And the liberal policies of New York City uh, forced the police to turn him loose. This has outraged Americans, and I'm one of them. The rape of a 14-year-old girl in Louisiana, another 14-year-old girl in Virginia, and Biden border jumpers charged in both cases. That helps frame the real clear and present danger that this invasion of illegals that Joe Biden invited, facilitated, aided, and enabled, it has produced a dramatic danger right at home for Americans in every part of this country. And more than three years ago, He shuffled the problem of the border off to his hapless vice president. And Kamala Harris, she's been studiously avoiding the border ever since. Mayor Eric Adams says that New York City now faces literally a multi-billion dollar budget shortfall, specifically because of illegals who've taken a bite of the Big Apple. And you understand what this means in practical terms? It means that if you live in that city or any of the other cities who are being run into the financial ditch because of this illegal alien invasion, they're telling their own citizens, I'm sorry, we don't have the money to run the police department the way we should, or the fire, or emergency services, or education, or parks, or any other service that citizens pay for through their taxes because the money is being diverted to people who have no business even being in this country. Smaller cities, you think you're left out of this? You are not. The problem may be less visible than it is in New York and Chicago and Philly and D.C., but is there all the same. In fact, I would suggest that when we get to this fall, if these 10 million illegal aliens are still here and they're almost certain to still be in the country because the Democrat Party plans to use them in the fall election, when they're still here, their kids are going to be in the schools with your kids. Now, guess what happens? Do you know of a school district anywhere that says, why, we have too many teachers, we have too many classrooms, We have too many computers. We have too many books. We have too many resources. We don't know what to do with it all. There may be a school district like that somewhere. There may be a city that says why we're overrun with uh, police resources, fire resources. Our hospitals are uncrowded. We wish we had more customers. I don't know of a city like that. I know every other city is to the opposite of that. So what happens? Joe Biden decides, I'm going to go for the second time in his entire life to the southern border. His first visit was only a year ago in January of 2023. And what's he going to do? He's going to see the results of what he did. Joe Biden outrageously blames President Trump for the problem, even though Trump produced the most secure American border that America has seen in decades. Open Borders Joe signed 94 executive orders in his first 100 days in office to reverse all of Donald Trump's border policies. So Joe Biden got 10 million undocumented Democrats that his party demanded for this November's election, and we get to pay the price for that. I want to give you a perspective on why I think Joe Biden is in Brownsville, Texas, and not in Eagle Pass, where President Trump's going to be. Number one, Brownsville does not have a lot of razor wire and armed guards. And why? Because Operation Lone Star, pushed by Texas Governor Greg Abbott, has done a very good job in Brownsville. And the number of illegal crossings is about half as many as Eagle Pass. So why would Joe Biden want to be there? Because the optics look good. 
All the TV pictures that will come out of this are not going to show little sidebar stories about here's the razor wire, here are the armed guards, here are the people waiting across the river. That's not going to be in the backdrop. I mean, Joe Biden is the Potemkin president. He wants to make this look good. Meanwhile, Donald Trump will be in Eagle Pass, which is where Ground Zero is in the Del Rio sector. That's where Eagle Pass is about twice as many illegal crossings, 169,000 in the four months between October 1 and the beginning of the year, 169,000 just at that location. We're seeing about 10,000 people a day cross into America. And when you have the Border Patrol, Joe Biden's own agency, and its workers are saying, keep our name out of your mouth. You understand what's going on here. This isn't just the Border Patrol siding with Donald Trump. How insulting would it be if you worked as a border cop, and that's what they are, border agents or border cops, and your boss tells you, don't arrest the criminals, don't stop the criminals, Help the criminals do what they're doing that breaks American law. Can you imagine the shame? No wonder they don't want Joe Biden to mention the Border Patrol during his visit to Texas today. Back in a moment, I'll be glad to get your calls. 866-HEY-LARS. Naysayers to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. This musical message to anyone who wants to indoctrinate our school children. Hey, teacher, leave kids alone. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'll be glad to get back to your call shortly at 866-HEY-LARS. And as you know, naysayers always go first on this show, so if you call in and disagree with yours truly, we'll be glad to put you first in line. Just stick around for a few hard questions. Uh, you can also send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Notoriously, Republicans have always led the way on cutting taxes. And I've always thought of that as a good thing. Conservatives as well. There are some rhino Republicans who seem to love taxes too. Uh, but they're less uh, common, I guess, than Democrats who want to push taxes. But are Republicans on Capitol Hill going to sign off on a government commission that's virtually guaranteed to pave the way for more federal taxes? And the perfect guy to talk to about that is our friend Grover Norquist, president of Americans for Tax Reform. Hey, Grover, welcome back. Hey, Great to be with you. This is exciting. Well, tell me about this, this commission. You've described it before, but there are folks on, mostly on the left who say we need a fiscal commission act so that we can have a commission that will study ways to cut down on government spending. And it, it all sounds well and good until you find out, as you've explained before, why this thing is really just a, a vehicle for being able to push us in the direction of even higher federal taxes. Have I overstated that? No, you, it's pretty spot on. Uh, this is an idea being pushed by uh, Mitt Romney, former uh, huh. senator from Massachusetts, uh, a governor from Massachusetts, senator from Utah. He's leaving office, and this is his Parthian shot on the way out. Uh, here's the challenge. 
We have a problem in Washington, D.C., and in all 50 states, and in many cities, maybe all, and that's the government spends too much money, tries to do too many things it's not good at or shouldn't be involved in at all, spends too much money on the things even that it should be spending. It does not spend wisely. Governments are monopolies. Monopolies are not terribly efficient, uh, and they have no competition, so they misbehave in how they spend. We spend too much. We also have a problem, which is growth is too slow, uh, particularly now that Biden has put up 18 percent inflation increase in the three years since he's been there. I mean, the price of things on average has gone up 18 percent. Now, we thought it was 17. They came out with, well, we were wrong. It's not 17, it's 18. So it's worse than you thought. Uh, and the government's spending too much. The commission says, here's our theory. We're going to treat tax Incre- uh, tax increases as if it was the same thing as a budget cut. Huh. What? We see they both theoretically reduce the deficit, right? Now, a tax increase slows economic growth and tends to make deficits more of a problem. Tax rate reductions uh, get you more economic growth and over time, more revenue as, as it grows. Not tomorrow, but over time with economic uh, growth. So tax cuts are important to get growth. Spending attacks yeah, and spending cuts are important to stop the government from spending too much money because every dollar they take is a dollar that's not in the in the in the real economy. Yep. So what they do is they say, no, 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 we don't want to do tax reduction for growth and a spending reduction. Let's do tax reduction, tax increases, tax increases, because that would theoretically uh, help the deficit and spending cuts. They're the same thing. They literally, they're like colorblind people. They do not see the difference between red and blue. They do not see the difference between a spending cut and a tax increase. They think it's the same. When you do that, you make it impossible to uh, cut taxes because the Democrats just want to spend more money. They're not interested in cutting taxes. So the negotiations just become a conversation about how much more in taxes. And that's what this commission is Design. It's not too much of a secret. Everybody knows it's designed to get a tax increase around the Republican majority in the House, which would never vote for a tax increase. 190 Republicans have taken the pledge never to raise taxes uh, since 1994, when Republicans won the House and the Senate and 96 percent of them signed the pledge never to raise taxes. We haven't had the Republicans vote for a tax increase ever since 94. No bill with a tax increase that it has passed if the Republicans had the House or the Senate, okay? So Republicans say we're not raising taxes. Taxes only happen when Democrats get in, but the Democrats are not winning the House and the Senate as often as they'd like to. They want tax increases, and they're desperate to trick a handful of Republicans into thinking that, oh, if you gave us tax increases, we would shower you with spending cuts we've always wanted to do, except when the Democrats are in power, they never do spending cuts. What are they talking about? They never do spending cuts. Why would we trust they do them now? Well, and in fact, Grover, I think about it in personal terms. I mean, we've all known someone, in, in some cases, we've all been someone who, when I made $35,000 a year, you thought, well, 
I'm spending about forty thousand a year. So, but but if I ever made fifty thousand a year, then I'd be able to pay all my bills and I'd put some money away for the future. And then you get to fifty and you're spending sixty-five. And when you get to seventy-five or ninety, you're spending over a hundred. In other words, there are people who always spend beyond their means, and the entities that always spend beyond their means, other than states, which are constitutionally required to have a balanced budget, the Congress. If the Congress had ten trillion dollars tomorrow, I think they'd find a way to spend twelve. Because the argument is, well, we have all this new money and we're not underwater anymore, so let's spend beyond our means. They, as you point out, they've never once delivered. When they said, well, if we had more money, when they used to have two and a half trillion dollars in tax income coming in, they spent three and a half. And and when we got to four, you think, well, four trillion dollars uh, or four and a half trillion dollars, which is about what the federal government takes in now. Surely they can stay within their means. No, they're going to spend six. And if they got to six, they'd spend eight. I mean, it, it's it, it, they are a predictable crowd of people, both Republicans and Democrats. So why are people like Jody Arrington, the chairman of the House Budget Committee, a Republican from Texas, why are they going along with this when they've been there long enough to understand the trick? Uh, because they haven't been there long enough to have been tricked themselves. They just ah. showed up. They don't read books. They don't read history. If you're from Texas, I think one of the things that you should have learned when you watched uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, the pre- vice president for Reagan and then president, he managed the collapse of the Soviet Union. That's pretty impressive. No blood on the floor. He kicked Iraq out of Kuwait and didn't sit on top of it for the next 25 years to see what was going on. Um, he had a very successful presidency with one problem. He lied his way into office because he won his primary and his general by saying he wasn't going to raise taxes. And he yep. did raise taxes. And by the way, spending went up, up, up after he raised taxes. There was no spending cut at all. And he lied to people and said that there was. There wasn't. He got taken completely. Uh, the longest applause when he was renominated for the presidency was when he said he made a mistake. Then the Republican convention went nuts <laughs> for the longest applause of his speech. They said, yes, you're right. We agree. But people were very happy that he, that he admitted that. Okay, so um, it it is a huge mistake. You know what? I'm so smart. I would outsmart a Democrat. You know, trying to get a dollar of tax money out of Democrats' hands and back to the people you took it from. Okay, are you kidding? It's like saying, I'm going to be so smart. I'm going to get that tiger to give me back the state. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to. No one else has been smart enough. To do that, but I'm clever. I will really make this work. Um, it is bizarre, but to your point that they always spend what they have plus, Bill Clinton put in writing just what you just said, okay? Remember, he got in, had a Democratic House and Senate, and um, when he got elected president, beat the guy who raised taxes, and uh, he said, here's what we're going to do we're going to raise taxes and then see how much money we're going to expect to take in on taxes. Add two hundred billion to that. That's what we'll spend. Well, what's that? Well, two hundred billion is what the politics allows you to have. Reagan had some deficits of two hundred billion yeah. back then, so we figure we can have one. So the point being, they Democrats will spend, Republicans will spend, the politicians will spend as much money as you give them, and then some. 
Grover Norquist from Americans for Tax Reform. Grover, it's a pleasure. I'll be back in a moment. I want to get to your phone calls next at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. I'm not afraid of social media. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the other social media. And tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. Back in just a moment. The Lars Larson Show. the story of a people always ask Lars if he wants to run for public office like president do you know how much power I'd have to give up to be president this is the Lars Larson show welcome back to the Lars Larson show I was extraordinarily happy yesterday when I found out that Mitch McConnell is finally going to be shown the door I think he realized that if he didn't say he was stepping down after the election this November as the current Senate minority leader uh, that he was going to be out on his ear anyway uh, but uh, I was glad to see him go. It comes far too late, and it should be coming sooner than November, but I realize there are political implications at the, as, uh, to that as well. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the program the future Senate Minority Leader and come January Senate Majority Leader, Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. What do you think, oh, uh, Senator? <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's a little far-fetched, but I am so happy to join you as always. I want to know if if you think I'm out of line, that I think, Mitch, I understand he knows where all the bodies are buried. He somehow knows how to raise massive amounts of money. I think he's enriched himself personally, uh, and uh, it didn't all come from his wife and his wife's family. Uh, but but why has this guy been around so long when he seems to be a guy who routinely uh, disappoints conservatives uh, who theoretically should should like their Senate minority leader, except he doesn't seem to do us too many favors. Well, and what I'm going to say is we thank him for his service to the country. Between now and November, I am going to focus on us taking the Senate majority so that we have a Republican majority leader that we will elect in November. And I am also going to put my energy into President Donald Trump going back to the White House. And I I applaud all of that. But, Senator Blackburn, let me be blunt about it. What good does it do us to have a, even if we have Trump in the White House, which I support as well, and a majority in both the House and the Senate, if we don't do anything with it? And the last time we had that in Trump's first two years, I don't think the, the, the House and the Senate did much to accomplish the things they could have. They all seemed to be focused on, on politics and maybe where they were going next, like Paul Ryan, who managed to land very, very nicely in a very lucrative set of gigs that he got after being House Speaker. But I don't think he did us any favors. And on the Senate side, I wasn't very happy with the fact The the Democrats seem to always accomplish things when they're in the minority uh, or when they're in the majority. They they go farther when they're in the majority. But the Republicans always say we've got to get the majority back. I agree. But then you've got to do something with it. If we get it back, can we do something with it? I certainly am planning to and I'll continue to push legislation that I have 
provisions that would secure the southern border, provisions that would deal with inflation, provisions that would cut, not just freeze, but cut what we spend because our debt is out of control, provisions that would freeze federal hiring and federal salaries and reshape the federal government. And I've worked on those issues in the past. I will continue every day now working on those issues. And with a Republican Senate and a Republican in the White House, I continue to press those and let's get them across the finish line. It's what the American people want to see. I want to know what you think about the fact that both President Biden and President Trump are visiting the border uh, today. Trump's been down there before. Joe Biden's been down there exactly once before. Uh, and what we should expect out of any of that. And uh, what we know is the Border Patrol Union had invited President Trump to come back down. He went uh, at the invitation of them and the governor to see what they've done there in Eagle Pass. And he was very warmly received. President Biden, again, his second trip ever to the southern border, he goes to the wrong address again. He sees a sanitized, cleaned up version. He takes a few pictures. He blames Republicans for the issues at the border. And then he gets back on Air Force One and he leaves. Okay. So very different, very different trips. And what we know is that you can pass all the laws there are. And Joe Biden is not going to secure that southern border because his border policy is an open border. You know, I want to ask you about something else coming out of the White House about this subject. But what does it say when Joe Biden is the chief executive of the United States? The CBP, Customs and Border Protection, is a uh, is a federal executive branch agency. And the head of the union that represents all the border agents came out uh, late last night or this morning and said, Joe Biden, don't let the don't let our name come out of your mouth. I mean, it's very clear that there's a big difference of opinion between Joe Biden and his border policies and what those border agents think we should be doing. Oh, of course, there's a different thing. And here is where the the crux of that issue is. Donald Trump listened to the Border Patrol. He said they told him they needed three things. They needed a physical barrier. They needed better technology where they could not have a barrier, and they needed more officers and agents. And Donald Trump said, great, we'll build a wall. That's where the phrase build the wall came from. And then you've got Joe Biden, who in his first 100 days in office took 94 executive actions and orders to weaken border security and to weaken immigration law and make it easier to have illegal immigrants coming into this country and acting like it was legal. People are sick of this. You know, Lars, I think that they look around in their communities and they see the impact of fentanyl. It's the largest killer of Americans ages 18 to 45. They see 
what is happening with crime in their communities, with gangs that are coming into communities that have never had a gang. You talk to any law enforcement officer, they will tell you we cannot get our hands around the issues with drugs and with crime and with thefts and with carjackings and smash and grabs until the southern border is secured. They see what is happening with drug dealers. They see what is happening with human traffickers and with sex traffickers. And they're saying, no, this is not how we want to live. We have to secure the border. You're right. And the other human damage. Let's see. An 11-year-old girl raped for 20 minutes by an illegal alien in Utah. Two 14-year-olds, one in Louisiana, one in Maryland, raped by illegal aliens. And 22-year-old, uh, uh, 22-year-old Ms. Riley uh, murdered, uh, and the man accused is an illegal alien. So I want to I ask you something, Senator. Uh, you're the bright light of Tennessee, and yet you're going to turn down the job, my offer of the job of Senate Minority Leader or Majority Leader come January. Who should get the job? I I don't know. I think you're going to see someone that is going to push forward aggressively with a Republican agenda. I think they're going to bring uh, new voices into the conversation. They're going to work on the agenda the American people want to see pushed forward, which is a secure border reducing inflation, looking at job security, having our allies know they're our ally and having our enemies fear us and making certain that crime in the communities is addressed. Well, I still think you should run for the job, Senator Blackburn. Thank you very much for the time. You got it. Take care. Bye. Take care, ma'am. That's Senator Marsha Blackburn from the great state of Tennessee. Back in a moment, I'll get to your calls. You want to join the best conversation in talk journalism? It's 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check us out on Instagram, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Donald Trump with a warning to Hamas at the Republican Jewish Coalition Conference. If you spill a drop of American blood, we will spill a gallon of yours. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I want to ask you this. If somebody is doing hard drugs, should you be paying for their housing, their medical care, and their food stamps as well. I mean, it's a very simple question, and I'm so pleased to see that there's actually a major American city that's decided to say maybe we should have mandatory drug testing for everybody who's on any form of welfare in this city. Now, I'm going to tell you the details of that in just a moment. If you want to join the conversation, it's easy to do. 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Let me say parenthetically, uh, if you're a naysayer, we get great naysayers some days. And then there are naysayers who can't figure out what they're for or against. If you call us a naysayer, the producers are going to be very accommodating. you got to be nice to my producers. There was Theodore. He was nasty to my producers, so we decided to give him the bum's rush. And if he comes back and treats my producers appropriately, I'll be glad to welcome him back. 
But if you call in and you say, I disagree with Lars, make sure you know what it is we disagree about. And then, by all means, make your best argument. I always invite naysayers. They say, what what is it you and I disagree about? If somebody says, well, you're wrong about this, great, I'll let you make the case. Just stick around for a few questions after that, and we'll see where we go from there. If you want to send an email, we make that easy, talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can vote in our poll on X. The poll on X used to be called the Twitter poll. It's now on X, so you can find the question there, at Lars Larson Show. And we put the same question up at my website, LarsLarson.com. But get this, Tuesday of next week, San Francisco as a city, I mean, notoriously one of the most liberal cities in America, is going to have a vote, a public vote on whether or not to have mandatory drug testing for anybody on welfare. And I thought, wow, that's going to be interesting because the fact that it even made the ballot kind of shocked me. But the fact that when they've done a poll, 61% of likely voters support what's called Proposition F. So Super Tuesday is on Tuesday, March 5th. Uh, San Francisco will be voting on Proposition F. At this point, 72% of the people who live in that city say San Francisco is on the wrong track. Now, this is kind of amazing. It's both amazing and gratifying. I mean, I was happy when I saw that they took their local district attorney, Chesa Boudin, the son of a couple of convicted terrorists, and they decided to recall him as attorney general and throw him out of office and replace him with somebody sensible. Uh, London Breed, the mayor of that city, uh, while a liberal Democrat and a, a black woman, uh, you know, so her politics maybe fit that. So, OK, uh, but she's been saying some sensible things, not just lately, but from the first time she took office. And now, having seen the city run into the ditch by drugs, by homelessness, by protests, by violence and crime that's rising like crazy. And finally, they're willing to say, maybe there's a way to get on top of this. Now, as I mentioned, I've been suggesting mandatory drug testing for welfare for a long, long time. And when people say, well, what do you mean? I say, well, if you want to be on TANF, that's what we used to call the dole. Then they called it welfare. They thought that was insulting uh, after a few years. So they said, we'll call it TANF. Temporary Aid to Needy Families, but otherwise known as welfare. If you're on welfare and we're paying some of your expenses, should you be out spending a dime on pot, on meth, on cocaine, on heroin, on LSD, on fentanyl, on oxy, any of those? If you've got the money for that, we shouldn't be paying your way. That's my point of view. But then I've had people say, well, you're going to invade people's privacy. No, we're not. Because if you say, I would like to have welfare, any one of those programs I just named, I'm applying for it. When you apply for anything, you're asking for permission to get it. Welfare is not a constitutional right, despite what the left might have you believe in America. So if you're applying for something, you have to find out if you qualify. Now, I can tell you I make a nice salary. So if I went down and applied for food stamps and they said, well, fill out this form and tell us what your income is. As soon as I did that, they say, I'm sorry, you don't qualify. One of the qualifications ought to be you come up clean on a drug screen. And let me tell you two reasons for that. Number one, if you're out taking illegal drugs, it means you're engaging in illegal behavior. Uh, It means that you may be high part of the time. 
If you say, I have a right to privacy, I don't have to take a drug test, uh, the folks who are you dealing with should say, you're right. You don't have to take a drug test, but if you don't, you don't get the welfare. Second issue, I know that when people work as commercial drivers, I've never had a CDL, but I know a lot of people who do have CDL licenses. And believe me, uh, when you talk to them, they're well aware of all of the limits on their behavior, even taking in the places where it's legal, marijuana, even drinking alcohol. They're aware of just how easily they can lose that CDL license. And they know that the boss says, if you come up dirty, you're going to be off work at least 30 days. You may be able to salvage your career and your license. You may not. It all depends on your actions. But when I worked in television, uh, we had satellite trucks. And they weren't especially big, but the folks who drove them because they were driving them for commercial purposes had to take a drug test now and then. And it, it wasn't unusual for me to be walking into work and uh, the photographer that I was walking into work with uh, would be hailed by the young lady at the front desk who'd say she'd hand out a she'd hold out a plastic cup and he knew what he had to do. He had to go right down the hall and give her a sample and bring it back. And if he came up dirty, he wasn't going to be working for a while. So if it's reasonable to say you can't be on drugs, if you're on drugs, you don't have a CDL. If that's reasonable, and I think it is. Is it reasonable to say if you'd like to be on welfare, food stamps, Section 8 housing, Medicaid, any of the TANF, any of those, you've got to show us that you are, number one, willing to and available for work, which means you don't have drugs in your system. Number two, if you're spending money on drugs and then asking me to buy your groceries, no, that's an automatic no. And as one of the residents of San Francisco is quoted, I think this is in the San Francisco Chronicle, a guy by the name of Malcolm Weitz, who's been there, you know, 20 years, he says the pendulum is swinging. It's coming hardcore back to center. So a notoriously left-wing city like San Francisco, which kicked out its crazy liberal DA, which elected a reasonably conservative but Democrat mayor, is now voting on two things. One, mandatory drug screening for any kind of recipient of public benefits. And Proposition E, this is even more unusual, would expand police surveillance tools and reduce oversight on police. And in the polls, the polls say about two-thirds of the voters in that city on Tuesday are going to say yes to both of those. Back in a moment, I'll be glad to get to your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check out my Instagram feed. It's kind of fun. The Lars Larson Larson Show. I had an important job. 